Gray Log been community members. I want to welcome today to the microphone Rob Curtis. Rob works at Gray Log. He's a software engineer. He's been with Greylog, I believe, and he'll let us know, since March of 2020. And yeah, that's correct. This year, May in May of this year, you became the U.S. engineering team lead, right? Right. Uh, we, we had uh, one team lead who was kind of managing the entire engineering team across Germany and the U.S., and I think we kind of recognized that she was doing more than just being a team lead. And so now she's our VP of engineering and I have taken over uh, the management duties for the U S and Conrad has taken over in Germany. So uh, it's been a a pretty good transition for me. Before we get into this, Rob, I'm curious, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, you came into the company in March of 2020 was that must've been right around COVID, right? It it was, um, I think my first day was March 9th, and I, I flew down to Houston for my first week. And when I was flying home on Friday, yeah. uh, the scroll on every TV in the airport was about the lockdown orders and shutdowns. And we, a bunch of us there in the Houston airport weren't entirely certain we were getting home that night. I, I know somebody who actually shut down. I think that morning they flew to Finland. They got to, um, as soon as they got to the airport, they were told they had to come back. Wow. <laughs> so she got a ride to Finland, uh, to the airport. That was it. All right. So anyway, Bob is going to talk to us today about his use of Raspberry Pi, right? And we're, we're talking to a technical audience, Rob, as you know. So we probably don't have to spend a lot of time on what Raspberry Pi is. But could you, could you just tell everyone uh, briefly what Raspberry Pi is? Just very basically, it's a tiny, cheap computer. Um, A lot of people pick them up for hobby projects because they are inexpensive. They they run Linux. They're pretty easy to use. um, And you can do a lot of different stuff with one. You've used them. You had used them prior to test or journey you went on with Greylog, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I had two Raspberry Pis. sitting in the house that they're actually plugged in in a closet. Um, And I've just been using them to play around with, um, see what different kinds of software I could run. Um, Just have a little fun. Were you, were you using the earlier versions? Like, you know, maybe one through three that the uh, the 32 bit or we're using a 64 bit. Well, I, yeah, I didn't really get, uh, get started with the raspberry Pi until my very first one was one of the, Raspberry Pi 4, which is the current generation. Um, and I, I was only running the 32-bit operating system on them. Now, for this particular instance of Greylog that you installed, though, you did need the 64-bit, right? Yeah, I, I did. Um, and uh, that, I mean, that was really not that hard to, to kind of re-image one of the machines uh, and go from the, the 32-bit default Raspbian uh, flavor of Linux over to 64-bit Ubuntu. Um, really just, I, the, the time there was spent just waiting for everything to copy like from the SD card or from my computer to the SD card and waiting for things to load. It wasn't really anything difficult. And here's the big question, Robert, and the question that I think is probably going to be on a lot of listeners' mind. Why did you want to run Greylog on Raspberry Pi? I... 
I, I like I said, I've had these Raspberry Pis sitting around. I've been playing with them, and getting Greylog up and running on one of them has been just kind of a a hobby goal for a while. But I never put that much effort into it. Okay. And I, I've been talking to uh, Donald, our build and release engineer here at Greylog, mm-hmm. and a couple of weeks ago, he told me that he had finally um, he had built Docker images for ARM64, which is the, the chip architecture for Raspberry Pi. It's like I finally built the ARM64 Docker image, and I was like, okay, now we're now we're really close to me actually pulling the trigger and doing this. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, a couple more guys here at Greylog, Jeff and Aaron, uh, they they did it. Aaron did it. Got log up and running on one of his Raspberry Pis. They made a YouTube video, and I just kind of said to myself, "Well, I got no excuses now. If Aaron can do it, I can do it." So, Rob, take us through now the the um, the steps that you took. You did, and I should mention to the the listeners too. Rob did post an article on the steps, you know, with with a, a good amount of detail. And I think you also uh, did. You also post this on Reddit as well. Yes, I I posted it in r slash Greylog on Reddit. Okay, all right, so people can read it there. But um, take us take us through the steps. I mean, we've already talked about the um, the preparation that you had. What about um, you know setting up the new um, operating system and then getting Greylog running? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, well, I mean. Uh, uh, first thing, I had to get Ubuntu installed, which was pretty straightforward. Uh, there's plenty of documentation out there on how to do it. Uh, so once I got Ubuntu installed, then it was pretty much just a matter of uh, getting Docker up and running on yep. the Raspberry Pi and then getting the right Docker Compose file. We've got uh, Docker Compose files in the Graylog documentation, so that's where I started. I just kind of copied one of those and pasted it over. And then I went through because Aaron had made some specific modifications to the kind of the baseline Docker Compose um, for his Raspberry Pi experiment. Okay. uh, Including uh, explicitly switching from, well, first explicitly switching over to the ARM64 image and also switching from just the regular Greylog to the Greylog Enterprise um, mm-hmm. to make sure that you get all of the plugins installed. Okay. Um, so I, you know, after taking those, I turned it on, and it didn't work. Um, turns out I had some problems with file system permissions that had to be corrected. I, I fixed those. I turned it on. Everything worked. It, it came up. I was able to get to the Greylog UI. Um, thankfully, the default Docker Compose image already opens up some of the most commonly used ports. So I was able to start my inputs and start collecting data from a few different devices on my home network. Um, and then I, I kind of dug a little bit deeper. I was like, a lot of people who run Raspberry Pis, the, the default storage on a Raspberry Pi is this tiny little micro SD card. And the more you read and write to those, the quicker they wear out. So mm-hmm. the, the first big change I wanted to make was using something else for my Greylog storage. Um, so I had to 
go in and figure out how to automatically mount a USB drive. Like you plug in the USB drive, it'll mount once you reboot the machine. It doesn't always mount quite the same the second time. So I followed a bunch of online documentation to update my file system table so that the USB drive would always mount on reboot in the same place with the same name and then figured out how to go into my Docker Compose file and tell it how to use this specific disk for all of the Elasticsearch and Mongo and Graylog reads and writes that it needs to do on disk instead of doing them inside of the Docker container, which would have just used my micro SD storage. Mm -hmm. So I actually ended up basically completely destroying and recreating my uh, Graylog instance several times before I got it to where the, like the baseline configuration, like these, these are the open ports. This is where it's using the disc. It got everything tuned uh, so that that stuff was running the way I wanted to. And then it became a process of going around and seeing what devices do I have that can send logs into Graylog. <laughs> and what did you come up with? Um, so I've got the uh, the normal syslog logs from both Raspberry Pi machines are going into Graylog. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I figured out how to get syslog uh, system logs from my personal MacBook uh, going into Graylog. And oh, yeah. I've, I've got a an Asus router um, that has a software firewall built in, and it has the capability to you know, send log data out to an external server. I couldn't get that talking directly to Graylog, but I was able to get it to forward its log data to syslog on one of the Raspberry Pis, and since those were already sending their data into Graylog, it came of came along for the ride. Oh, nice. Okay. Did so, you uh, did you set any, any um, alerts? Did you, did you discover anything odd in your logs? I haven't found anything odd yet. Um, the the logs from the router include my firewall logs. So it's yeah. telling me about every external packet that gets dropped, uh, which was the first thing that I kind of focused in on. I, I've i never really written Graylog pipelines and processing rules before. Right. So I kind of jumped into that and I was like, all right, I want to change a few different fields from what's coming in on the router. I need to parse out the actual information because it's all just kind of coming in as one big blob and I want I want to get like the source IP, the destination IP, um, all of this, you know, whatever individual pieces of information, I want to actually pull those out from this one big monolithic message and see what I can do with it. So I, I started, I built my processing pipeline. I got it to a point where it was parsing all of these incoming messages into meaningful fields. And then I started playing with dashboards. Um, built myself a little dashboard to kind of see uh, this is, you know, this is all the incoming packets that were dropped. Um, and we have a uh, gray noise. That's it. We have a gray noise plugin built into Graylog that will 
make a call out to Gray Noise, which is um, a service that will tell you whether or not a particular IP address is kind of a known benign noisy scanner right. or not. And so I was able to kind of integrate that into my, my processing pipelines so that I could see on the dashboard, here's all the traffic that's coming from known scanners that aren't a problem versus the number of packets that are coming in from unknown sources or known malicious sources. Yeah. And that's been really eye-opening to see that, like, I think at this point, 10% of the traffic that gets dropped uh, by the firewall on the router is coming from known benign sources. Right. And the other 90% is either unknown or known to be malicious. And I didn't really appreciate just what my firewall was doing for me until I started seeing just how many incoming connections it's refusing and dropping yeah, I think I think Rob, this this is pretty cool in in the sense that I mean our audience is is you know obviously a technical audience and we're kind of speaking to the choir here, but um, the fact that you're you know a full time engineer working in a lead capacity at Greylog, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that you don't spend a lot of time with the completed project because you're working, you're working in, you know, you're working uh, very closely with the, with the uh, code and the people who are writing the code. You're basically working with the guts and you're not looking specifically at the finished product. And that's true, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've spent hours and hours and hours running Greylog from a debugger on my work laptop to, you know, try and figure out where is this error coming from or, why is that thing not starting up the way I think it should start up? And then, you know, run Greylog for 20 minutes, shut it down, spend another hour writing code, run Greylog for 20 minutes, shut it down, spend another hour writing code. Right. Never really long-term, like, get Greylog up and running, connect it to real data sources, right. and see what comes in, and then try to do something with it. Yeah, exa exactly. You're not really doing the the end user experience. Obviously, you know, as a as a engineer, as a programmer, you're testing what you do, and, and you know that that makes sense. But you know, I guess to use an old fashioned phrase, soup to nuts, you're not really sitting down um, and going through all the steps that you went through here. So it definitely was eye opening. Um, oh yeah. It, it sounds like it was. One thing I wanted to mention too is that you mentioned gray noise. Um, data lookup. Now, that's something that a lot of our open uh, community may not know much about. That's a, an enterprise um, feature, right? Well, we, we've actually got open and enterprise versions of the gray noise lookup. Okay. You do have to go out and get an API key. Like, you have to register with the folks at gray noise to get an API key. Okay. Um, the, the only real difference, the, uh, the open version of the gray noise lookup will essentially tell you if something is a known noisy scanner or not. It's basically a yes, no. The enterprise version just gets you more information um, from gray noise. It provides uh, the country of origin, city of origin, if that's known about the IP address. It okay. provides uh, for the known noisy scanners, it basically tells you who it is behind the scanner. Um, 
I forget the names of some of these uh, groups that are running these scanners, but if they know who it is that's running it, then the the enterprise version of the plugin will tell you who it is. But the open version of the plugin is good enough to to basically tell you is this noise that you can it's not a threat or is this something you need to pay more attention to? Right, right. Um, and I'm not sure if we we established most people listening to this will probably think, well, you know, Rob works at the company. He's probably on a regular basis. He's probably using enterprise, but that's not necessarily the case in all cases. What um, what instance were you using? Were you using Greylog Open? Were you using small business or what? Um, I, I was actually when I installed it, um, I, I did intend to uh, get the the trial license that that we have. Like you can click a button in Greylog and get a 30-day unlimited, uh, essentially unlimited bandwidth trial license. Okay. Um, because that was really the only free license that I was aware of. And it wasn't until after I told some folks here at work uh, that I had set it up that someone asked me why I didn't get the small business license. Right. And I said, I didn't even know we had a small business license. And See, I was pleasantly go. surprised that yeah, there you like, go. as long as you're ingesting less than five gigabytes a day, right. um, you, you can get all the enterprise features for free. You just don't get any customer support. Right. And okay. I was like, I mean, when I was looking at, uh, at my actual amount of data I was ingesting, I think the first day I got like, 40 megabytes and the second day I got 120 megabytes and like the third day I was back down to 90 yep. and for my home network there's no way I'm ever going to hit five gigabytes of data a day yeah yeah I was I was um as I was reading your article I was thinking that based on the way you set it up um it sounded like it it was the right version or the right flavor I guess of, of Greylog to do um what you wanted to do um I want to thank you, Rob, for being our guest. In in wrapping up, um, what uh, what things did you learn? I mean, obviously you learned some things about being an end user, which is great. I think even in your position. But um, what did you learn, maybe about um, you know using some small bytes such as um, Raspberry Pi and its association or its um, usefulness with um, with Greylog? And, and what can, I guess, what can the listeners get from this? Um, well, I think you know, if you're if you're listening to this, you already know that Greylog is a useful tool. Um, I, I think my big takeaway was just how easy it was to get Greylog up and running on what is essentially a really really inexpensive piece of equipment. Um, yeah. And just how powerful it can be once you've got it up and running. Um, once you start getting the data in there, there is just so much that you can do uh, and so much that you can learn about what's going on in your own home network or home lab. Uh, like I, I'm seeing the, the log data from the DNS requests of every device in the house. Um, 
because I'm running PyHole, which is uh, kind of a ad blocking DNS piece of software, it's actually running on my other Raspberry Pi. But like, I'm stunned at the way my Amazon devices are phoning home in the middle of the night, or the fact that when the Amazon, you know, Fire TV in our living room has been off for two hours, and I open up Graylog and I look at the, my DNS dashboard that I set up, I'm like, why is that TV that's been off for the last two hours requesting, like, doing a DNS request for Facebook? Why is it wanting to talk to Facebook? This kind of like awareness of what's going on in my network that I just didn't have before. It's, it's been pretty interesting. Interesting journey for you and uh, well described too. Uh, I know you contributed to the documentation and um, I can see where that, that comes through in your write-up of this article. So for the listeners, if you haven't read um, Rob Curtis's article, it is in the community. And it's under a uh, blog area, which is basically in the uh, gray logbook. Um, uh, it, the uh, gray logbook uh, category. Um, again, I want to thank you, Rob, for, for being a guest. If people decide to put this together and you have any questions, you can put them in the community and um, we'll get them, we'll get them uh, to Rob or other people in the community to, um, to get some answers. I think it would be great to have. Uh, some of our community members try this on their own and um, see what they come up with when they run Raspberry Pi. Thanks a lot, Rob. Oh, thank you, David. This is David Chudo logging off.